Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, founders, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Dave Kopp, CEO and co-founder of Worlds, an industrial metaverse platform that's raised $31 million in funding. Dave, thanks for chatting with me today. Hey, glad to be with you. Thanks for having me. No problem. Super excited for this conversation. So we were just joking in the pre-interview, you've been doing AI long before it was cool. So tell us about <laughs> your experience with AI and some of the companies that you've built and sold prior to founding Worlds. Oh, gosh. So, yeah, I've been doing it for quite a while. I think I fell into it almost by accident, you know. So I was in college, I was a frustrated business major, you know, and I was pretty sure I didn't want to just be a business major. It was boring to me. And I ended up dropping in on, a, on an anthropology class, you know, and, uh, and I started talking about corporate culture. And, you know, I was fascinated by people, you know, and, the, and so this idea of culture inside of a company was new to me at the time. And now it's everywhere, of course, you know, but but it really became kind of the foundation for me in starting companies. You know, I think my first company was called Ingenium, was, which we made the name up. But I think it's a Latin that means, lo, behold, a creative invention, you know, <laughs> but it was just one of the first semantic search engines, you know, and so we built that. And then my second company was Brainspace and, you know, Brainspace was another, we were going into digital investigations, you know, so the idea was all these large litigations that were happening with hundreds of millions of documents and lawyers sitting around tables. Like what if we could actually build a technology that could review all hundred million documents and learn from them. And, you know, it's really a lot of the stuff that's kind of coming out in chat GPT. Now we did it the hard way back then, you know, it didn't scale like chat GPT does, but we did build the ability for a technology to learn dynamically from information as you gave it the information, you know, so, uh, but we sold that company in 2017 and uh, now I'm on my third with uh, Worlds, you know, so taking AI out of the back office into the real world. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about that first company. So you founded that in 1998, you had yeah. in 2004. So you started the company and you survived the dot-com crash. Yes. What was that like to be building in that phase, to survive that phase and then, you know, come out a, a winner with a with a win there at the end? You know, it was a crazy time because I remember looking around me and it was just a, it was a bloodbath. You know, all my friends' companies were dying. We made it. And I think a lot of it was just grit. I'll tell you one thing. I was really sure I was not going to ever let anybody go. You know, so my thing was I never want to have a layoff ever in any company I've ever had, you know, because to me, that's just a sign that you as a leader didn't plan very well. So I've had to start up, you know, my last one where I actually paid payroll for a couple sessions just to keep the company going. And when you have your rough times, you know, but um, yeah, the dot-com thing was crazy, you know, because everybody was dying, you know, and, and uh, I think it's one of the things, you know, we might talk about later, just, you know, when you pick your investors, for me, it's really important to pick investors that were not just about money, that they, they're definitely into you and your vision and they want to support you in that. And I'll, I'll never forget the moment when we're, you know, we're in the dot-com mode, uh, we're about to crash, you know, just like all my friends. And my lead investor pulls out his checkbook and says, how much do you need to keep going? I said, a quarter million dollars. And he wrote me a quarter million dollar check and did not ask for anything special in return, just for whatever the shares were worth at the time he wanted that in value. So like, you, you don't meet people like that now. And I'll never forget that. And I, I mean, when we sold the company and we had the big dinner, I told that story so he could just to lift him up in front of everybody, you know, because that was just a, such a selfless thing to do. And, and uh, I'll never forget it. It kind of stuck in my mind. You know, it's really important you choose the right investors because then, when you have those moments where you're going to be challenged and life doesn't quite work the way you want it to, you want to have the right people behind you. 
Yeah, it makes sense. And yeah, unfortunately, I feel like I don't hear many of those stories. Yeah. <laughs> I hear are like the other side, right? Where they kind of take advantage. No, they don't take advantage of you, but like they, yeah, they seize the opportunity, which I guess makes sense if you're just thinking about it from like a pure investment perspective and they yeah. kind of take advantage of the situation. So those are the stories you typically hear, but glad to hear you had a positive experience. Yeah, for sure. Now, when it comes to founders who have inspired you, who would you say is the most inspirational founder that you've met or just studied along the way? I think my heroes are more historical figures. I do have a couple kind of current founders, but when I think about like who my true heroes are, you know, it's like people that change the way we think today or that change the world. Like I look at people like Nelson Mandela and just kind of how he was this idea of peaceful resistance. You know, a guy spent 24 years in prison and he came out speaking about forgiveness and reconciliation. Like we could all learn from that, you know, and Martin Luther King, you know, again, one of the best orators we ever had in our country and judge a man, not by the color of his skin, but the content of their character, just people like that really inspire me. If I look kind of to recent founders, the ones that I kind of looked at, people I have a lot of respect for today, I think one would be Ahmad Nastak, the CEO of Stability.ai. I just, I love his vision for AI today, that it should be open source and democratized. And I think he, if we could just do what he's describing, I think we'll be fine. And <laughs> I look around and kind of wonder if that's going to happen. But He's a guy that talked about, one of my favorite quotes of his is that humanity is creatively constipated. He said, let's make it so we can poop rainbows. <laughs> <laughs> but he's this guy that just talks about the power of AI and how it can, we can do so much with it, right? And uh, I love that. I love that. And I think the other one would be Saul Khan of Khan Academy. I just, this man is on a mission to educate the world, you know, and with uh, his new Conmigo, where he got together with OpenAI and created this technology now where every person in the world could have a personal tutor. I've signed up. I have my Conmigo tutor, you know, and from five years old till, you know, you're six feet under, you can have the time between that. He just, everyone can have a personal tutor. And uh, I just love what he stands for. Like he knows that so much of the world will change if he accomplishes his goal. Like he's someone that has a vision that I think could have such an impact on the world, much more of an impact than most people you think about just because of what's possible if everybody in the world is educated as I think the pricing's like four bucks, you know, four bucks a month or two bucks a month or something like that. It's just crazy. You know, there's no reason every person in the world can't be fully educated now and, and live a great life. And uh, so I, I love Saul Khan. I think he's amazing. Yeah, huge fan as well. And especially on the first one with stability AI, something that I want to ask about then is, you know, you mentioned vision for AI. So take mm -hmm. us back to like the late 90s when you were working with AI you know, quite a long time ago. Like, what were your thoughts about the future of AI back then? Like, were, did you have the idea that it was going to be this revolutionary technology like it's really become? Or was it too early to really be able to see that? I think when I first started working in AI, I did not see it the way I see it today or even in the last call it six or seven years, you know, in the early days, AI was still something that we had to instruct it what to do. I mean, you, you programmed in the intelligence, like it, you know, horses have heads, humans have heads, but they're different, you know, that you audit things like that. So it was very, very cumbersome, very, very hard. And um, it was not generalized and flexible, like we're talking about today, and like what's going to take us to AGI, right? So what makes humans so unique in the world is our generalized, flexible intelligence. Like we can walk into a room and see something for the first time, but kind of know what we're seeing. You know, with AIs in the past, if you would, didn't train it to see those things, it did. There is invisible. You know, like mm -hmm. I always give the extreme example of you have a crosswalk with students and and a uh, crossing guard. You know, but then if a lion walked across the street, this system wouldn't see it. It'd be invisible. You know, because it wasn't trained to see a lion. 
you know, but that kind of a thing, this general, this idea of a generalized flexible intelligence is what's been missing from AI for a while. I think probably maybe around seven years ago, I started seeing seven, eight, maybe even nine or 10 years ago, I started to really get tuned into the power of AI and how it's going to just be absolutely world changing, you know? And I think from that point on, I was really as much of a student as I was a practitioner. I, I, I try to learn as much as I possibly can about it and see what we can do and apply those things, you know, but, but AI has been on quite a journey. I think, you know, even the last 12 months, you know, I think, think about probably 2012, you know, when deep learning, all that stuff kind of came out, that's when there were really big changes, but we kind of reached the real full potential of deep learning maybe a year or two, a couple of years ago. And I think it's funny because I think, uh, I don't know if it was Lacoon or one of the top AI guys kind of said, hey, we need something new. We're at the pinnacle of deep learning and then boom, Transformers came out, you know. But I think what's fascinating me today is I think we're underestimating what happened, you know, like with OpenAI and ChatGPT. You start to think about what really happened there. It's sort of unbelievable. You know, like we, we basically have AIs that can now pay attention, right? And to learn dynamically without any intervention. Like we're not, when they built ChatGPT, they didn't tell it what to learn. They just threw 46 terabytes of data at it and said, have at it. You know, and then the AIs, you know, multi-threaded, of course, these transformers, multi-threaded transformers kind of going after it and learning. But, you know, this idea that an AI can now pay attention and only learn about the things that matter, you know, is changing the world. And then this idea of kind of what we call RLHFs, so reinforcement learning human feedback, you know, now also after you build that first AI out, they're, they're kind of learning like children now, right? So you, you're born with a certain on an autonomic knowledge, right? So you know something's hot when you touch it or cold or sharp or blunt and things like that. Same thing with an AI. You give it that 46 terabytes of data, it knows something. But it, what it really learns is when it interacts with people. So now we're seeing kind of this human feedback is kind of the next phase of growth with these AIs. And the more we're interacting with them, the more they're learning. And that's just fascinating. You know, and it's setting the table for what's next, which is even more exciting. I think we're in an incredible time right now. It's almost like everything's possible now. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a little scary, but also exciting at the same time. That's like a, a perfect position to be in and probably a, a perfect segue for us to talk about everything that you're building today. So mm -hmm. how we like to begin this part of the interview is really focusing on the problem. So at a high level, what problem is world solving? So we're the creators of a software platform that's bringing AI-based automation directly into the ground floor operations of all the world's largest industrial companies. So companies like Chevron, Petronas, um, Warner Industries, PepsiCo, Timken Steel, they're all, they're all using worlds today to measure, analyze, and build automation into their physical operations. And again, so, you know, I think from my past, I did a lot of back office AI. And we're essentially taking AI out of the back office and bringing it into the real world. So our real superpower is how we can capture and convert the physical processes that are driving daily operations in these large industrial companies and convert them into a, a live data stream. You know, so that they can use to achieve like a real-time sensing of their very, very complex systems, you know. So turning the real world into a live data stream is kind of the crux of our business. So people can now look at their real world as data and in real-time affect it. You know, so if you, like we have some of our clients are, you know, they have very dangerous environments, you know, steel companies and energy companies, and we have lots of uh, heavy machinery, right? And so this ability to kind of use an AI to even understand when there might be a critical variance happening that could cause an injury uh, and to set an alarm in real time, you know, to make sure that doesn't happen. So making sure people are in the, not in the wrong place at the wrong time. But, you know, so it's, it's really interesting. It's AI for the real world. 
once we have the real world as a live data stream, what can we do to change it and, and alter it? And the answer to that is almost anything. When you have a platform that can do anything, how do you decide where to focus your attention in terms of go to market? <laughs> it's a great question. You know, how do you become a jack of all, not a jack of all trades, master of nothing, right? I think that's always been a challenge for me because I tend to build companies, our companies, we tend to build technologies that have very broad capabilities. And so when you build a broad capability, you know, it can be used in virtually any market. That's definitely happening with this company. Now, I'll tell you this, right now we're focused in the center of supply chain, right? So because we're 50 people, you know, we can't focus on everything, but focus generally in the center of supply chain, you know, so these are, you know, some of the world's largest companies that are basically trying to solve their big operational, real world operational problems. So now they're growing faster and larger than they ever have before. So their ability to observe and analyze and in effect, operations at scale is really becoming untenable. It's something that's really harder and harder for them to do. You know, and so we've come up with this technology that allows them to see, to see their operations, and I mean, simultaneously. So it's almost like this superpowers of observation, the ability to see all of your businesses simultaneously and to have each one learn from the other. You know, it's, just, it's a superpower for sure. So we're focusing the center supply chain right now. We are working on a technology that may change that drastically <laughs> and make it so that we are truly building a capability and then that capability can be used in any company. <laughs> and if that's the case, then we'll have to you know, work with partners to supply that last mile, that less the use case, and we'll focus on the capability and let partners, large channel partners and SIs, you know, build the actual end solutions that are built on top of our, our platform, our capability. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host, and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now, back to today's episode. What's your market category? Is it industrial metaverse? Something else, how do you think about market category? Yeah, I think, you know, people talk about it in different ways. The digital transformation, you know, so every, every large company right now is trying to solve this problem. So we don't walk into any company today and they go, oh, I haven't thought about that. I haven't thought about how can I measure the real world? I can't thought, I haven't thought about how do I build more automation? Because, you know, especially since COVID, like supply chain in itself, I'll just put the stat out there for you. Like there's 15.5 million more jobs there are people to fill them. So building automation into your real world processes, you can do more with the same amount of people. It's no longer a nice to have. It's a mandate. You have to, or you won't survive. And then, you know, you look at what happened after COVID, right? We got a real stark reminder of what happens when people don't come into the office, right? Or come to work. Businesses shut down. So how do we build more resilience in our companies? And one of the ways you can build more resilience is to build in more and more automation. You know, so those two things together, the shrinking workforce, and this idea of building in more resilience has set up a really nice environment for our company since we're so focused on automation and helping these companies build more automation in their physical environments. How have you seen your messaging and positioning evolve over the last, let's say, 12 months? Oh, man. Well, things are moving so fast today. I think when we started Worlds, you know, we were building a better way to do computer vision. <laughs> this is three and a half years ago. But today, you know, it's evolved into becoming a foundational model for real-world AI. You know, like what ChatGPT did for text, we're doing for the real world. You know, when we look at, uh, you know, so you can take video and learn dynamically from video about the real world. 
When we look towards the future, you know, I think we see a world where English is the language we use to communicate with machines. And, and in this world, we can engage in conversations with those machines about, you know, what's happening in the world, how we want to change it. You know, so we're starting to look at as AI becomes more multimodal, you know, so it's not just about text anymore, but now we can speak to AIs and the language we used to speak with AIs is English, right? That's changing things, you know, so now we can have conversations with machines about what's happening in the world, ask it questions about what's happening in the world. With our technology, we can start to create that index of everything, if you will. So it starts to, you know, tag everything that's in your world. Now you can start to engage with machines and ask questions about, so what is happening? How could I, you know, what process is about to break? What critical variances are occurring every day that I should be aware of, you know? And uh, almost, I think that's the future is that we're going to start having conversations with machines about the world and how we can change our, change our world. When it comes to traction, growth and adoption, are there any metrics and numbers that you can share? Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, our growth is incredible. Like last year, we grew 300% year over year. This year, we projected another triple. I don't think we'll quite get there, but we're on pace for about 270% growth. I don't see that slowing anytime soon. Uh, we have kind of a land and expand strategy. So we bring out an account. Uh, we bring on one or two sites, but then once those two sites are up and going, they we put them at all their other sites. You know, and most people we're working with have 50 to 100 sites, you know, or more. And so um, we're just hitting the crux of the expand portion of what we're doing. So I don't see that growth slowing. It might even increase, you know, so we're in a unique spot. You know, there's a little bit of luck here. You know, you're not always, <laughs> I'll, and I'll take it, you know, that the market seems to be forming around us right now. I mean, what the world wants right now, especially these large industrial companies is more automation. How can we automate, build automation into our environments? And that's exactly what we build, a platform that allows companies to do that. And so I think, you know, we pinch ourselves a little bit in knowing that we're in the right place at the right time, but um, we are definitely in a little bit of a perfect storm right now. The technology and AI where it is today, has made it possible for us to do what we do. And the timing of what we're doing is absolutely peaking right now. Every large company is trying to figure this problem out. What are you doing to ensure that you can capture all of that market demand that's out there? Obviously, there's a lot of noise around this technology now. There's a lot of funding that's been going around. What are you doing to make sure that you really capture all that demand? Well, you know, I think for us, it's going to be about asking ourselves, how can we change? How can we grow and accelerate our growth, right? The way that we're structured today, I think we can continue to kind of triple. But if we want to get bigger than that, we have to kind of consider a different model. And we're doing that. We're starting to have conversations with some of the largest SIs in the world, you know, these are the, the big four, if you will, you know, and, uh, and others. And they're very excited. I think um, these large systems integrators right now, they're looking for something like this or looking for platforms that they can build a business around. And I mean, every single company that they're dealing with is working on digital transformation. Like the world is changing right now. And the, the physical world and the digital world are collapsing together. And companies are starting to realize that, you know, the only way for us to progress is to be a part of that digital transformation. So having a platform like ours, where we can actually turn your real world environment into a live data stream and create this, this ability for these large SIs now to with their world, their client's world as data to start to solve virtually any problem they have it's a huge thing, you know, so we're getting a lot of attention from the large systems integrators and, and some of the hyperscale companies. We're starting to work close, more closely with Microsoft and uh, NVIDIA. And so I think it's a bright future ahead. I think our, if there's anything that keeps me up at night, it's not about, do I have a technology that's going to work? I mean, we're way past that. You know, we've got product market fit out there. It works fantastic. And we've got our, some very large clients that love what we have and want more of it. My, what keeps me up at night is how do I scale this thing? How do I make this thing grow 10X, you know, 20X, 30X? And 
that's what keeps me up at night right now. All in all, it's probably good things to stay up at night worrying about. How do you grow 10x, 20x? That's much yeah, better than worrying about other things that I think other founders have had to worry about. No, that's right. And like I said, I do take that. Don't take that for granted. You know, I think we, we are in the right place at the right time kind of thing. And I, I don't take that for granted, We're, but I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> How do you think you got timing right? Because it just sounds like perfect timing. Was that an accident? Or like when you were starting this company, did you, you know, have this kind of vision to know that this was going to be a market? I think we knew. So you know, my last two companies were back office AI. And we did have this inkling that what we kept saying to each other was, I think video is the new text. <laughs> like that's the thing we kept saying to each other, you know, and like, what if we could create a technology that could see and sense the world like people, but at a scale that's not humanly possible. Like we started asking ourselves those questions. And so we knew, we did know that I think, you know, because we were looking at stats, like, you know, how many people spend on time on YouTube and things like that. And it's way more than they did on, you know, textual sources. Right. And so I think we knew those things were happening and it was a matter of kind of then extrapolating from that, well, what kind of a picture does that paint of the future? And for us, it was kind of a, a brilliant scope creep. You know, we started with a vision we thought was pretty big, but now that I look back on it, you know, like it's gotten so much bigger over the last two and a half years, three years, because we keep getting this wonderful scope creep, you know, like, okay, well, yeah, we'll make, we'll solve all the problems of computer vision in the early days, but then it's like, hey, well, we don't know where things are happening. So why don't we create live digital twins, you know? So we came up with this idea of creating live digital twins. We capture the world in 2D with cameras and sensors, but then re-express it live inside of a 4D model, you know? So that 4D is time. So X, Y, and Z plus time, you know? And that was our next idea, you know? And so we did that. So now we create live digital twins of real world environments, you know? And it's truly the industrial metaverse. You hear other companies talking about industrial metaverse and it's, you know, it's, to us, it's, it's a very small vision of what they're doing. Oh yeah. A digital twin could be a jet engine or a building or you know, something like that. Or for us, the entire environment's a digital twin. We create the entire environment, environment as a digital twin and everything happens inside this live digital twin. And when you have it as a twin now, you not only know what's being sensed, you connect it with IoT, right? So you, you know what's being sensed from the sensor. You know when it's being sensed because all sensor data is timestamped or time series data. But now with the digital twin, you know where it's being sensed. So we were able to really fully sense environments in ways that were never possible before. But it was a scope creep thing, you know, to your point. It's like we, we didn't come up with the idea and say, oh, five years we executed on it. No, the, the idea changes every six months. I shouldn't say changes, but it it evolves pretty radically every six months right now. And I think that's changed, in, at least from my perspective in businesses, that used to be change would happen over the course of years. And now I think for this business, we see change happening almost quarterly. It's moving so fast right now. Makes a lot of sense. Now let's talk a little bit about funding. And I know we touched on that at the start, but just to circle back, you've raised 31 million to date. What have you learned about fundraising so far? <laughs> uh, a lot. <laughs> I think, um, you know, for me, I think when I talk, so one of the things I do is I, I mentor a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, and um, that's definitely probably the, you know, the biggest topic, right? Is how do you work with investors? One of the things I tell people for sure is like, you know, don't go, after money for money's sake, you know, find investors that really maybe even have a vested interest in your business, like that you being successful helps them in some way, you know, like, so finding those strategics, like, can you find a strategic investor to start your business? And I, I try to do that in every company I have. So aside from having the VC in or something, we'll find a strategic, you know, who has a vested interest in our success. And that's helped a lot. 
But I think that you heard my story at the beginning of our talk here, you know, like me picking the right investor saved my business, you know, in the last one. And it created an opportunity for us to get to an exit, you know, and so that's because I chose the right investor. I do see lots of startups that are, you know, they get desperate and they think they just got to take the money and they do it. I tell them, if you can possibly do it, don't do that. Don't do it. You know, because the next thing that happens is they want to replace the founder and, you know, <laughs> everybody's got a friend, you know. And <laughs> so, I, you know, I, one thing I tell people is don't take money for money's sake. Find someone that has a vested interest in your success and see if you can get them involved, right? So, because it's, then it's less about the money and more about how can you make a difference and how can we work together to create, you know, your business as a possibility for the world. It sounds easier said than done, and, and it is a little bit sometimes You've got to have money, but if that happens, just make sure you're working with good people. Really investigate and talk to people that have worked with them before and things like that. And stay away from the people that, you know, just want to run your business and kick you out. And, <laughs> and you know, it happens all the time. I mean, it's, it's sad how often it happens. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just even the last few months, I've had a few founders that I know very well that it's happened to them. And I know in previous, there, there's a lot of famous examples of it happening as well. So definitely something that founders need to be aware of and should be honestly like, concerned about. Yeah, for sure. Based on everything you've learned so far, what would be the number one piece of go-to-market advice that you'd have for another founder? I always think of, we have this saying, we kind of say, build a market of one, right? And so market of one has kind of two different pieces to it. So one is that you build a product that's unique in the market, right? So it's not just uh, like in this case for Worlds, our current company, what we saw out in the market were a bunch of point solutions like computer vision companies, digital twin companies, uh, camera companies with AI, all these narrow functions, right? And so we thought, hey, what can we do that's different? How can we create a market of one? And the idea was, well, what if we built an open platform, open API, where even those other things that are out there could plug into our platform. Like we became the one place where it all comes together. So cameras, IOT sensors, people, process, it all comes together and it's joined together in space and time in our platform. And that was a decision we made probably a year and a half after we started the company. And it's paid huge dividends because now when we, we walk into companies, they're all working with those other things as point solutions. They'll all have 10, 12, 15 point solutions. They're trying to integrate them and it's impossible. We walk in and say, hey, plug them into our platform. They're all connected in space and time. You have 200 cameras, plug them into our platform. Every camera knows what every other camera is seeing. You know, just, and it, they're blown away. So one was product, right? So build a product that is unique in the market. The second thing is business model. Like, how do you deliver that thing, right? And so we came up with this idea because in this, in our world, data is the thing, right? When you, especially when you have sensor data and IoT, you're shooting a lot of data up to the cloud, right? And so um, we had this idea of, well, what if we didn't charge for data? Everybody else charges for data. We said, how do we do that? Well, we move all the data that compute to our customer's cloud. So our only cost is, uh, is people costs because we're using their cloud. They already pay for their bandwidth, the cloud companies. They already, they already pay for that stuff. So, and we did that. So now our cost went down to zero. So we created a flat fee pricing model, flat fee. And everyone that we compete against is kind of like, what the hell? <laughs> you know, because they're charging for data. And so, um, yeah, I think this idea of creating a market of one is build a unique product and then look at how you're delivering that product to your customers and you can make that unique as well. If your product and the way you deliver it are both unique, then you'll create a market of one. And that's what we've done with this company and my other two companies. Final question for you. Let's zoom out three to five years into the future. What's the big picture vision that you're building? <laughs> 
I'll say a little bit about it. We're going to make a, uh, an announcement in January, so I'll give you a little bit of a teaser. So we're, we're actually working on uh, transforming the whole AI training space. You know, so again, kind of in this exercise of looking at what you're doing and trying to understand how could you transform it and make it better, the part that's really hard is training AIs. You know, so you, know, you draw boxes around things, you say dog, draw box around a cat and say cat, person, you know, all those things, right? But then the world is messy, right? So the real world changes and your models break. We call it model, model drift, right? And model drift is real and it happens all the time and it's persistent, you know? So you build a model, it breaks, you fix it, it breaks, and the real world changes, you know, fix it, it breaks. And it's this insane pattern. And so we've come up with this idea about, well, what if we could just really automate the training process? And uh, we think we figured it out. <laughs> we've got it live in the office and uh, we'll be talking more about it in January, but you know, we think it's going to be something that's going to truly change the industry. So yeah, I think we, so when we look out from this company, uh, it's a little bit what I said before. It's like, we want to create a world where you can literally just start to have a conversation with your environment. So, you know, so if you have a distribution center, having a conversation with the technology, the machines about your environment, you know, and, and being able to build AIs with your voice, you know, like saying, hey, worlds, you know, build me an AI that lets me know when do, any of my doors are open after five o'clock and it talks back to you and says, well, sure. Well, what do you want me to do with that? Send it out to my cell phone. Great. Your cell phone's 214-641-8552. Yes. Okay. Like, and that's it. So you have this conversation with the world and then things happen, you know, and that's where we see things going. AI is going to become multimodal. It's going to be like talking to anybody else, except you're going to be interfacing with the, an alien intelligence that maybe has a lot more data than you could ever have. So we want to be the first to that to that vision for the world, letting people kind of talk and change their world, you know? Amazing. I love the vision and I love that you've left us wanting more. So we'll have to bring you back on to chat <laughs> after that big announcement drops in uh, in January, I think you said. So yeah. look forward to having you on for round two. We are up on time here for round one, yeah. so we're going to need to wrap. Before we do, if there's any founders that are listening in, they just want to follow along with your journey, where should they go? I'm all over. So yeah, uh, I am Davo is kind of my handle all, all over the, the interwebs. Yeah, so I am Davo, I am D-A-V-O. So yeah, I'll, everywhere you'll find me with that. But easy to get a hold of and I'm real passionate about entrepreneurs, you know, so if uh, you're doing something exciting, let me know about it. And that I can have a real passion for helping entrepreneurs find their greatness. Amazing. I love it. Dave, thanks so much for taking the time. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks, Brett. All right. Keep in touch. This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode. 